Good morning. As we continue in our teaching series on the book of Isaiah, would you turn to Isaiah chapter 22? Isaiah 22 this morning. I'm going to catch you up. If you haven't heard, Isaiah is in this 14-chapter stretch where he's going nation by nation, and each nation and what they represent is like a, a counterfeit God. A false savior. He's saying, do not put your trust in Babylon. Babylon represents, you know, pride and self-exaltation and culture and celebrity. Don't hitch your wagon to that. Kids, do you remember? God's going to judge Babylon. Take everything they've left as a legacy and give it to what animal? Do you remember? Hedgehog. Very good. Yeah, that's right. It's all going to Sonic. Everything that Babylon has represented. What about Egypt? Hey, Egypt's got a mighty river. Egypt's got resources. Yeah, but Egypt forgot who controls the flow of that river. It's God. So now we turn, what, okay, you can't, don't, don't trust in, in celebrity and popularity. Don't trust in, in being self-made. What about, what about in self-reliance? We turn today in 22. What about it? Is, where is security found? That's the governing question in all this. For those of you who are note takers, and you come every week and you dutifully take your notes, if you're watching online and you're taking notes, you're about to be really rewarded. Because last week I intimated that if you would start in Babylon, the self-exalting, uh, 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 number one, no, security's not found there. Is security found in Egypt, the self-made, number two, no. What about Jerusalem, the self-reliant? It's point number one of this Sunday sermon, but technically this is the third in the list. So it's one and three. I have numbered it one, three. What about Jerusalem, the self-reliant? I mean, haven't you heard the expression, hey, the only person you can trust is yourself. Have you ever heard that? If you want a job done right, you got to what? You got to do it yourself. What about, what about turning in ourself? What about putting our trust in ourself? no. 22 verse 1, and the oracle concerning, he calls Jerusalem the valley of vision, which is, which is sort of shots fired. Jerusalem is a Mount, Mount Zion. Because Jerusalem's not turning to God and they're relying on themselves, Mount Zion has become a valley. You can't see in the valley. And so Isaiah offers this from the valley of vision. Now, ironically, Jerusalem doesn't realize that they're in big trouble. In fact, they think they're doing great. They're even celebrating. What do you mean, you, you that have gone up, all of you to the housetops, you who are full of shoutings, tumultuous city, exultant town. They're looking at military victory. They're saying, hey, we're going to be fine. You're slain or not slain with the sword or dead in battle. All your leaders have fled together without the bow. They were captured. All of you who were found were captured, though they had fled far away. While the city rejoices, the man of God weeps. Look at verse four, therefore I said, look away from me, let me weep bitter tears. Do not labor to comfort me concerning the destruction of the daughter of my people. Jerusalem is headed straight for destruction. They can't see it and they're celebrating. So while the city shouts, the man of God weeps over Jerusalem. And this will not be, will it? This will not be the last time we see the man of God weep over Jerusalem. Well, what's wrong with shouting about a military victory? I mean, what, what's wrong about looking to ourselves for military defense? Well, if you're Israel, look at verse 8. In that day, you look to the weapons of the house of the forest. The house of the forest must have been what they named their armory. 
You saw that the breaches of the city of David were many. You collected the waters of the lower pool. Okay, so you realize there may be an army that comes at us. A lot of times they would do what's called siege warfare, which means they wouldn't try to take, you know, smash down the walls and come in. They would just lay siege and just say, okay, we're going to cut off all your supplies and just wait you out. So that, they were saying, that's smart. You, took, you managed to find a water source so that when siege warfare happens, you'll have a supply of water. Okay, you were wise. You, 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 you checked on your arms supply. You made sure your water resources were good. You counted the houses of Jerusalem and broke down the houses to fortify the wall. It was very important for you to build that wall. You even smashed houses to have more material to build a wall. Okay. You made a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool. Again, you're you're trying to fortify yourself. Okay. So what's the problem with being wise when there's an, an enemy coming along? What's the problem with that? The problem is, but you did not look to him who did it or see him who planned it long ago. There's nothing wrong with being wise. What's coming under judgment is not just that you were being wise, it's that you were completely relying on yourself with no regard for God. You're living your life in a self-reliant way. We may not have a military enemy bearing down on us, but do we not have spiritual enemies, unseen forces? And listen, y'all, that last final enemy is coming for all of us. Death. Death is the final enemy, and it's coming. And we would do well to ask, with what will you fortify yourself against that final enemy? Hmm? What walls are you going to build up when death comes? That's going to matter. The obvious thing, of course, is trusting God. Israel wouldn't do that. So he says, all right, time for an object lesson. Come with me, and let's look at the prime minister. Look at verse 15. He says, all right, all right. Israel, you you obviously need some help understanding this. So Jerusalem, here's what's going to happen. Look at verse 15. Come, thus says the Lord God of hosts. Come and go to this steward. Now my translation says steward, manager. Here he has apparently uh, enough clout to be sort of militarily at great power. This is like the prime minister. He's got command over this whole household, and he's very concerned about his legacy. legacy. Come, go to this steward, to Shebna. Who is this Shebna, this prime minister? Well, he's over the household, and say to them, What have you to do here? Whom have you here? That you've cut out here a tomb for yourself, who you've cut out a tomb on the height and carve a dwelling for yourself in the rock. Shebna's a proud man. He's very worried about his legacy. And so he wants to make sure that when he's gone, he's spending all his energy on this monument to himself. Shebna is all about Shebna. And so he's building this big monument so that everybody passes by. Oh, that was a big man. That was a great man. He's all about his legacy. Shebna is completely concerned about this life. Why? Because when you're self-reliant, all you have is this life. See, with no regard for God, it's all about the here and now. So you better be anxious about this life. You better be concerned about this life. You better be concerned about your legacy because that's all you have if you're being like Jerusalem, the self-reliant here. Okay, so how does it go for Shebna? How does it go for the self-reliant? In each of these oracles, he said, this is what you're guilty of. Here's what's coming. Look at this, verse 17. Behold, the Lord will hurl you away violently, oh, you strong man. He will seize firm hold on you and whirl you around and around like a Cy Young award-winning pitcher and throw you like a ball into a wide land. Isn't that a great image? Around and around, like a, like a softball pitcher or something, right? He's gonna take the big, bad, proud Shebna and throw him like a softball into left field. That's what the mighty God is gonna do to this proud man. There you shall die. 
There shall be your glorious chariots, you shame of your master's house. Self-infatuation, self-reliance, it leads to self-destruction. It's a lesson for Christians. Not to make too much of ourself. Empire building, self-reliance, being too proud of your own good deeds, your own legacy. That's a word for Christians. That's a word of warning to pastors. Whose kingdom are we building? That's a word of warning for churches. Are we about building our own name, our own legacy, our own empire? Or will we be like Count Zinzendorf, who trusted in the Lord. He was the leader of the early uh, Moravian church. He was asked what his life's ambition was. Now, you ever been asked that? Hey, man, what's your 10-year plan? What's your life's ambition? Imagine answering like Zinzendorf. Here's what he says. Life's ambition? Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. That's it. All he cared about was God. And he left his legacy in God's hands. Well, security is not going to be found in Babylon. That's going to the hedgehogs. It's not going to be found in Egypt, the, the, the self-made. God's got control of the Nile. It's not going to be found in Jerusalem relying on herself. No fortification is strong enough against the enemies that come. These are all counterfeit gods. And so at the end of counterfeit gods, you think, well, there's one more. What about, what about Tyre? What about Tyre, the self-sufficient? Now, when I say the city's name, Tyre, does that do anything for you? Probably not, it, but it is no surprise that the oracles start with Babylon and end with Tyre. Because back in the day, Babylon and Tyre not only meant nations and cities, they meant like a whole, everybody knew everything that that represented. It was so much more than a city. We have the same thing today, don't we? When I say Hollywood, do you think of a city near LA in South California? No, Southern California, no. You think of what? You think of movies and TVs and studios. When I say Hollywood, you think of, of, of movie production. When I say Wall Street, do you literally think of a road that in lower Manhattan, right, you can walk on, is that what you, no. When you, say, when you say Wall Street, what do you mean? It's shorthand for finance, the stock market, money. When I say Hollywood, you think movies. When I say Wall Street, you think money. When I say Las Vegas, you think Buffets, right, church? You think buffets. Yeah, okay. Right, but these cities become so wrapped up in this identity they stand for. It's the same thing. And so the ancient Near East, the minute you said Babylon, everybody goes, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about a pride cultural icon. And the minute you said Tyre, whoo, Tyre is Wall Street to the ancient world. Tyre is the city on the eastern, uh, on the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea. What, what? I'm picturing the sea, it's there. I don't know, east, west, whatever. Tyre is this coastal city and very, very wealthy, very shrewd. Whoever was in power, Tyre was all about the money. Tyre's like, listen, we don't really care. While the nations rage, if Egypt gets in power and seems to take over militarily, <laughs> fine. If Assyria is the latest power, if Babylon, it doesn't matter who's in charge, we about that money. Tyre's about dollar bills, y'all. So, so, so Tyre has this has the, need not have a military empire. They have a commercial empire that's built on trading. It's built on the sea. Now, can you imagine controlling the trade routes of the vast and boundless sea? They, had such, they were such good uh, uh, traders and, and such good sailors and could build these mighty ships. They had an outpost all the way out in what is modern-day Spain. It was a place called Tarshish. And so there was a nickname when these mighty ships would come in, which every time those ships came in, right, money coming in, uh, they would call them the, the ships of Tarshish. It came to represent sort of how Wall Street represents financial markets. These ships of Tarshish represent these great financial wealth, this commercial wealth. 
It's tempting to trust in money, isn't it? So tempting to trust in Tyre. Uh, I, I understand when, when things start to give way, what money does is it lies. It, 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 it says things like this. P- people think, okay, there's a pandemic. Okay, markets are crashing. And I look around and I hear wars and rumors of wars. And I, 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 I see all this destruction. And I look around and I think, I just need to be safe. And I need my family to be safe. And what I really long for is security. And that's it. That's it. If I had security. See, if I had financial security, then no matter what happened all around me, then I could, me and my family be taken care of because we got plenty of money in the bank. We're going to be, no matter what, the layoffs and recessions and all that, we're going to be okay. Now listen, there's nothing unwise or unbiblical about a a savings plan, an emergency fund, and a retirement plan. That's fine. But little by little, watch this, little by little, the hope of your heart goes from God money and that's where the lie of money sets in because here's the lie what it says is money whispers to you as if it's a savior it's a counterfeit savior but here's here's the lie here's what it whispers you know if you could get to right here just draw this little line see the line it's just right here man think think about that you're i mean if you could get across that line hmm, you'd be out of debt and that's the number if you had that much socked away if you could get this percent of of growth rate it's right there you you don't have to be money money money's a good liar you don't have to be wealthy you're not trying to be rich extravagant beyond your wildest dreams you're not talking about private jets no 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 no. we're just 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 get to this line just get to this line you know why it's a lie because what happens is one day you get to the line and as soon as you cross that line what happens the line moved and money's like did i say here i actually meant here i actually meant here but seriously i mean it this time if you'll just get here and you get there, and the line moves, and the line moves, and it's never enough. You're always told, just a little more. You just need a little more. And little by little, money, who promised to be a savior, ends up enslaving. Because you become a slave just a little more. You fall for that lie. It's a counterfeit God. And little by little, you begin trusting in money more than God. That's pride. Look at the roots of the judgment on Tyre. Go to verse 8. Who has purposed this, talking about the judgment against Tyre, the bestower of crowns, not to make too much of this, but in modern day we would say Tyre was a kingmaker. Tyre was so commercially successful that they could determine political outcomes because they had the money. Tyre's going, don't worry about government, just follow the money. That's who really controls, look, whose merchants were princes, don't be fooled. It's not the princes that are ruling. It's the traders. It's that money. That's what, right? That's what tires say. Whose traders were the honored of the earth. That's where the power was really found. Well, what does God think about that? Oh, the Lord is, have host has purposed this judgment. Why? To defile the pompous pride of all glory, to dishonor all the quote unquote honored of the earth. God sees right through it. It's pride. Hey, having a lot of money doesn't always make you arrogant and proud. But having a lot of money often makes you arrogant and proud. Pride and arrogance doesn't have to go with having a lot of money. It just happens to often go. Because when you get more money, you suddenly think you're smarter. And think you're better, arrogant. And what happens is money begins to breed this thing in your heart where you have a self-reliance apart from God. That's what happened to Tyre. Like the rich fool in Jesus' parable, uh, they live their life with no regard for the one from whom all wealth derives. You, you find out, Tyre's going to find out what everybody's going to find out. You can't buy God off. And they'll learn what we'll all learn 
is that you're not truly wealthy until you have something that money can't buy. So what's the outcome for Tyre? What's the judgment on Tyre? It's very interesting. The oracle concerning Tyre. Whale, O ships of Tarshish. Which technically makes them whaling ships. For Tyre is laid waste without house or harbor from the land of Cyprus. It is revealed to them. Be still, O inhabitants of the coast. The merchants of Sidon who crossed the sea have filled you. Now, I want to interject just a brief history lesson here. Isaiah 26, uh, excuse me, Isaiah 23, verse 2 says, The sea, mighty Tyre, sea's been filled. Uh, that's a prophecy against Tyre. It's going down, the sea's going to be filled. Uh, Isaiah was not the only ancient prophet who realized that Tyre was uh, so, so proud and arrogant because of all their wealth. Several ancient prophets talk about it. Ezekiel spends a whole chapter, Ezekiel 26. Uh, is a whole chapter against uh, uh, Tyre, and he's prophesying. Now, hold this in your mind, right? The sea's been filled. This is what God says, the oracle of judgment on Tyre. Look at Ezekiel 26.4. Uh, 26, they shall destroy, this is a prophecy, different prophet, same city. They shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers and scrape her till she's a bare rock. I will scrape her soil from her and make her a bare rock. Everybody got it? Sea's gonna be filled, scraped like a bare rock. Brief history lesson, not because... I think you need to know this history because I think you know you can trust every single word that drips from the lips of God. That happened to Tyre, literally. Those prophecies came together that happened to Tyre, literally. So a, a word about Tyre. <sighs> Tyre got tired of everybody coming after them because of their great commercial wealth, and they, they weren't very good militarily uh, against all these armies, and so they eventually said, you know what, forget it. Let's leave the old city of Tyre, and since we can't beat infantries, let's just go navy. And they put their, they moved their whole city out, uh, out from the coast onto an island, and they built up walls on this great island. And now, uh, all these armies that would try to come against Tyre, they would face the sea, and because they had such navy might, because they were so strong militarily on the waters. The, all these armies that were used to take, so they were attacked multiple times. But the last time they were attacked goes back to about 300 years before Jesus. And there's this, this crazy story how it happened. I mean, what are you going to do against a city that's now on an island? You've got to cross the sea to get there. So fast forward to 300 years before Christ, there was this guy from Macedon. His name was Philip. They called him Philip of Macedon. And he had this burgeoning empire. And he had this son. And he expected great things for the son, but the son turned out really not to be, it didn't look like he was going to amount to much of anything. He was kind of, a, kind of a bookworm, indoor kid, and so he named him Alexander, and at that time they just thought he was Alexander the Average. Um, so, but because he's into books and learning and stuff, and because you're Philip and you can afford any tutor you want, he thinks, I'm going to get the kid a tutor. Well, because he's like Philip of Macedon, this great emperor, he gets the tutor for Alexander, his son, he gets a tutor named Aristotle. So now Alexander is developing under the tutelage of Aristotle, and he grows up, and his dad, Philip, is murdered by the Medes. And so uh, for the rest of his life, this son takes up the mantle of his father's leadership and, and conquers basically the known world as the, one of the greatest military geniuses of all time under the tutelage of Aristotle, and probably to avenge his father, it turns out, Alexander turns out to be what we all know as Alexander the Great. Brilliant military leader, right? He's marching his way through Asia Minor and he scorched earth, everything, but he can't take Tyre. He gets a Tyre and he has to attack it, but he can't take it because when he gets a Tyre, 
they're out across the water. You with me so far? You know what he does in 332 BC? You can read about this, you can watch the History Channel documentary on this, or you read about it. Incredible story. Long story short, he realizes he can't, I mean, he tries to get some mercenary Navy ships to try to defeat them, and it doesn't work. Finally, he says, the only way we're going to do it is to march on that. And they say, we can't march on it. There's a sea. He says, fill the sea. They go to the old city of Tyre and scrape it. They scrape it, everything they have, and begin to build a causeway. They scrape the old city of Tyre until nothing's left but a bare rock to fill the sea. Let me say it one more time. They scrape Ezekiel 26.4, the city of Tyre, until it's bare rock to Isaiah 23.2, fill the sea. And thus, it is fulfilled. Tyre's destruction happened literally the way Isaiah prophesied. That's not to give you an interesting history lesson. That is to impress upon you that when God says something's going to happen, it gets fulfilled. We've seen it. And that means you can bank your eternity on whatever prophecies are still to be filled. That's why we're in Isaiah. We're not just, oh, let's study Isaiah. We've got to do something on a Sunday. We're, this, this is our future. This is what's coming. If that's what came for Tyre, literally, we shouldn't play games when we talk about what's coming for the world. Literally. Don't trust in Tyre. Don't do it. Don't envy Tyre. Don't hitch your wagon to Tyre. Don't look for security and money. So if you're not going to find it in Babylon or Egypt or Jerusalem or Tyre, where's security found? Same as last week. We're circling back to the exact same place. In God, the sovereign Lord. The reason we put our trust in things, in these counterfeit saviors that are within time and space, by the way, is because we're scared of things. But ask yourself, is everything you're scared of, is it within, just ask yourself, whatever you're scared of right now, is it within the realm of time or space? That's probably pretty much everything, right? The reason you want to trust God with all of these anxieties, with all these fears, and with all of this that's within time and space is because you're trusting God who stands outside of time and space. Isaiah 24 through 27 is called Isaiah's apocalypse. This is sort of, he's backed out now from the nations. He's zoomed all the way back to talking about the world, the, the, the end of the world as we know it. And in Isaiah, uh, uh, imagine the uh, 24 through 27 like the end of a fireworks display. And here's the grand finale. And so these fireworks are going off that you can, you can trust the sovereign Lord. Don't put your hope in the city of man. He uses these two images. The city of man's built on pride and it's destined for destruction. But the city of God is built on trust in the Lord. I'll, I'll skip back and forth. You'll, you'll hear these fireworks going off. I'll just skip back and forth. Isaiah 24, 1. He's the Lord over all space. Look, behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate. He'll twist its surface and scatter its inhabitant. He's the Lord of space. And he's the Lord of time and eternity. Look at 25, 1. Oh, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I'll praise your name. For you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful and sure. You want to make sure you're on the right side of God. You want to make sure that you're trusting in God. Why? Because everything else is within time and space. God stands outside of time and space. That's why he's a true savior. These counterfeit gods are within time and space. God stands above and outside time and space. And if you reject that, if you choose not to put your trust and faith in God, then you're relying on yourself, that pride. You're building the city of man, and it is doomed for terrible destruction. If you look at chapter 24, pick a verse, any verse, it ain't good. In chapter 24, Isaiah shows the judgment that's coming on pride, not just in one particular nation, on the whole earth. 
Human pride that tries to build its own city, the city of man built on pride. Look at verse 10. The way, it's a wasted city. It's broken down. Every house shut up. None can enter. There's an outcry in the streets for lack of wine. All joy has grown dark. The gladness of the earth is banished. Desolation left in the city. Gates are battered into ruins. Thus it shall be in the midst of the earth among the nations as when an olive tree is beaten as, the gleaning, as at the gleaning when the grape harvest is done. Don't be impressed by the city of man. And now listen, the city of man has great marketing. <laughs> the city of man looks great on social media. This pride apart from God, it looks great. It sounds like a lot of songs. Don't be fooled. There's coming a day, look at verse eight. The mirth of the tambourines is still. The noise of the jubilant has ceased. The mirth of the lyre is still. Imagine a, a wild party float and everything looks good and it's happy but it's built on pride and self-reliance. It's headed for destruction, never to sing again. And if you don't like that city, there's good news. It doesn't have to be your city. There's another city, the city of man that built on pride, but there's a city of God built on trust and humble faith in God. It's a very different world. Those who humble themselves, look at chapter 26. Here's a different city altogether. They're not silent, they're singing. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. There it is. Go all the way back to the beginning. What was Jerusalem doing? They were ignoring God and they were setting up walls, their own walls, the walls they could build. Here in the city of God, they realize the only walls that are gonna fortify you against all your enemies, including that final enemy, death, the only walls of any significance are not walls you can build. They're walls of salvation. The only walls in your life that are gonna stand are the ones God has built. That's justification by faith. You know that doctrine? It's not what we've done. It's not what we've built. It's what he has done for us in our salvation. Oh, and who gets in? Look at verse two. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You know these verses? You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. You want perfect peace? Stay your mind on him. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Oh, and they sing, y'all, they sing, and they sing crazy stuff. Some of the lyrics of their songs sing about the dead people living. Look at 2619. They sing songs like, your dead shall live, your body shall rise, their body shall rise, you who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. And that right there, Isaiah 2619, is the clearest scripture in the Old Testament of the physical resurrection from the dead. There's the Old Testament uh, uh, spot where we see people talking about the physical resurrection from the dead, which is, of course, expanded in the New Testament. We understand more after Jesus Christ came back from the dead. But there it is. And one more little description. You ever been to a party so good? The, the right people were there. The love was in the air. The music was on point. The food. Oh, the food. Man, uh, I, remember, uh, I remember years ago, uh, back when uh, there was this thing you could do, like going to a restaurant, I miss that. <laughs> and uh, there was this, uh, I, got, I got to go to one of these Brazilian steakhouses. You ever been to these places? Oh, man. It's, it just keeps coming. And there's these dudes with these, like, skewers of meat. And you just, you just put it on your plate. And you just keep coming. And they give you this card. It's got green on one side and red on the other. And green means go. And you just, you leave it on green and they just come bringing the food and more food. And they give you a card because there comes a point where you can't speak under your own power. All you can do just before you slip into a meat coma is flip it to red. 
and then wait until you revive and come back to green and keep going. And there's a salad bar, but so you know what I'm talking about, right? Imagine this feast that never ends. When the Bible talks about a party so good, it, it, the Bible word for this is feast. And if you're a vegetarian here this morning, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know. I don't, I, God, God will have good stuff for you too, okay? A tofu that will never end. Whatever it is, whatever it is, it's going to be awesome. This feast that never ends. But the idea is more than eating. It's shalom. Perfect peace, nothing missing, nothing broken. Guys, does this excite you? What's coming, not for the city of man built on pride, but for the city of God. This is your future, church. You who depend with everything you've got, you've been depending on God. And here in this world, you're going to get made fun of for that. It's going to look foolish for that. And they're going to say, come on, man, invest in this world. This world is all this. But if you will hold on, if you will not listen to the counterfeit gods, this will be the end of, uh, this will be the end of all suffering. Look at verse uh, 7. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that spread over all nations. He'll swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from every faces and the reproach of his people. He'll take away from the earth, for the Lord has spoken. This is, guys, this is the end of hunger. This is the end of viruses. Can I get an amen? This is the end of cancer. This is the end of brokenness. This is the end of war. And God could say, couldn't he? Look at this verse carefully. Couldn't God have said, At the end of history, I will snap my godly fingers and all suffering will be over. Any questions? He could have done that. And that, I mean, that'd be great. That'd be cool, right? I'd love the end of suffering, snap fingers. But it's personal. How does he end the suffering? He, he wipes away tears from faces. Who wipes away tears from cheeks? Who does that? I'll tell you who does that. Mommies do that. Mommies say, come here. It's going to be okay. They don't immediately snap their fingers and end all suffering. What do they do? They wipe cheeks. Hear the intimate love of God. Your heavenly father says, come here. He ends the suffering, but he also personally. There is no sorrow. As the David Crowder song goes, there is no earthly sorrow that heaven can't heal when he himself wipes away every tear. How's he do it? Can we put verse 7 up there just to close? We'll just end on this verse. How's he do it? He comes under the covering. That's how. He comes under the veil. Look, at, this is a weird verse. If you, if you, you gotta look at it in context. I mean, it could be understood as weird. There's this, he's saying there's a sheet over all the people. Isn't that something? There's a veil, there's a covering. He said, okay, what is the sheet that hangs over all humanity? Next verse, verse eight, sorry, tells you. What's the sheet that covers all humanity that he's gonna swallow up? It's death. So here in verse 7, you've got this sheet that covers all humanity. And then he tells you in the very next verse, he's going to swallow up this covering. He's going to swallow up this sheet. In the next verse, he tells you what the sheet is. The sheet is death. So here's how he does all this. Here's how he gets us to that promised, glorious future. And it's incredible. It means he himself, who was outside of space and time, did what? He came under that sheet. He came under that covering. Listen to me. I read this this week. It took me multiple times to read it, and it may take you times. You may leave here today and think about it and think about it and think about it, but eventually it'll hit you like it hit me. That means, technically, Jesus Christ is the only person who ever lived who died for someone else. It took me a while. I'll say it again. Jesus Christ is the only person who ever lived who died for someone else. Because what I thought and what you're thinking is, 
I appreciate what you're saying, but that's, te- that's not true. Lots of people have died for other people, right? I mean, there's all these stories of sacrifice where someone gave up their life for someone else or, or this person, you know, they took a bullet for them or they gave up a, an organ or, you know, whatever. There's all sorts of examples of people dying. For- it's very noble. It's very, it's great. It's great. But they only chose the manner of their death and they chose the timing of their death. Every other person who died for someone else was going to die eventually anyway. Jesus Christ, Son of God, was never going to die. He's literally the only person who died for someone else. He didn't have to come under that sheet. The sheet, the covering of death that covered all of us, didn't cover him until he led it, until he chose for us out of love for you and me to come under that so that, I think that's why there's such a big deal made when they go to the tomb at the end of John, at the end of the Gospels, they go to the tomb, every, they, they make such a big deal about the covering, the shroud, the burial cloth. It's sort of like there, but it's kind of like there the way he left it. He passed through it, he passed through it, he swallowed it up. He swallowed up death forever. What an image, what an image. That though he didn't have to come under that sheet, he came under it to swallow it up forever. To free all those, like, like the book of Hebrews says, all those who for all their life were held captive by the fear of death. He set them free. That's how he did it. So don't trust in Egypt. Oh, how foolish it now looks to trust in pride or uh, culture or, or wealth. Oh, wealth looks so stupid. It's not a good savior. I just want to trust in him with everything I've got. Is that where you are? That's where Isaiah is leading us. That's where that's the point he's driving home. Security's only found in him, nowhere else. Let me pray. I, I would ask you to allow, you, allow yourself a moment here just to let this stuff sit, let this sink in on us. Let this, let this gospel good news run deep into our hearts this morning. You need that freedom that comes from not trusting in any of these idols to the extent, Christian, you've allowed your hope to, be, to migrate to other things. Put your hope back where it belongs this morning. Hmm? If you're not yet a believer, let today be the day of your salvation where you transfer your trust from yourself into his hands. He's waiting. He loves you. He came under the sheet for you and your salvation. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, grant that we might truly repent from trusting in Babylon or Egypt or Jerusalem or Tyre and all, the, and all that they represent, and instead put our trust in you and you alone. God, thank you for this ancient prophecy that speaks with a modern voice right where we are today as your people, seeking to be faithful and to hold on for the great promises that lie ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor BJ has our instructions for our benediction and offering, and I'm so glad that you were here. And we made it through those 14 chapters of Isaiah in two weeks, and so we look forward to continuing. Brother BJ. Thanks, Pastor Tom. If you would, just stand your feet all across the room. We're going to have our benediction. Um, You'll notice to my right, your left, you're going to see these three exits. They're the ones we're going to utilize as soon as we close here. There are some offering boxes there on the tables uh, made available to you. I know many of us give online. Uh, but they're there for you if you need those. Second Corinthians 13 is going to be our benediction today. It says, finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. 
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you. Have a great week.